Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we are hearing from the fantastic rock singer Stan Bush. So Stan has one of those careers that you couldn't really plan for or expect to have. In the early 80s, he ventures out on his own and he starts carving a really interesting career for himself as a straight-up AOR rock singer, but then suddenly becomes the, the soundtrack guy with, you know kickboxer and blood sport but of course this one right here the touch from transformers changes everything now i never saw transformers back in the day but i did see boogie nights and mark Wahlberg as dirk diggler sings this song in that incredible scene from boogie nights which to me just kind of relaunched stan to a new generation well, after the, after the success of having music in movies, he kind of goes back and forth. But he's never really strayed from that great, muscly, meat and potatoes, AOR rock from the late 80s. That is still what he's up to. In fact, last year, he put out another new album called Dare to Dream, which we're giving away a copy of. I'll tell you about it at the very end. And uh, it's, uh, it's just like nothing has ever changed. That's the beauty of Stan Bush, you know? So anyway, we get his feelings about this unique and crazy career of his and how he's adjusted as it sort of happened to him, you know? We all go in, not we all, but singers, songwriters, they go in thinking their careers are going to be one thing and they end up being something completely different. And Stan has adjusted to that very nicely and that's what's given him the legs that he's had. And along the way is some excellent AOR rock. So we hear all about it from Stan. He called me from his home in L.A. Good. Well, as I said, Stan, I have been wanting to have you on here for years. I've had a fascination with you for so long. And uh, you were on a good friend of mine, B.J. Cramp's podcast, Rock and or Roll, a few years ago, talking about the Transformers soundtrack. And uh, I just was so green with envy that he that he talked to you before I did. And so, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Okay, I, let's start with the question I'm sure you've been asked a bazillion times. I want to know specifically about Boogie Nights. I rewatched Boogie Nights to get ready to talk to you. I've never actually seen the Transformers movie. So to me, that song, The Touch, comes from Boogie Nights more than it does trans, uh, Transformers. But I want to know specifically, like, who called you? Did someone call you and say, we have an idea. This guy's making a movie. He's new at it. It's about the porn industry. How do you feel about letting us play the touch? What, was that the conversation? What happened? No, I, I actually heard about it after the fact. Yeah, it, it, it's an unusual situation, but the touch was, uh, I was on Scotty Brothers back in the 80, mid-80s, and they, uh, I, I had a pretty bad deal, and they had my publishing, so I don't own publishing on the song. Just I'm, just, mm-hmm. I'm a writer, of course, but a co-writer with Lenny Macaluso, but I, I didn't get any publishing. So in other words, they can turn around and license the song without my knowledge or permission. So mm-hmm. I heard about it after the fact and it was, it was fine. I mean, I, uh, I actually, when I saw the clip, I was like, Hey, that's really funny. You know? <laughs> so it, it seemed hilarious. Actually the scene, it was like a spoof on the eighties kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But, I didn't realize that I've, you know, I've heard good and bad things about the Scotty brothers. I've had many people on here 
who were a part of that label. In fact, I recently talked to Frankie Sullivan from Survivor, and yeah. he loved the Scotty Brothers. And really? um, yeah, he oh, had he... good things to say. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I opened for Survivor uh, in in Europe, uh, mostly Germany, back in the '94, I, th I think it was. Really? And uh, yeah, they somebody plugged Frankie's uh, amp. Uh, rack into a 220 and blew it up and so i let him use my i had a couple of pv amps that i i was using for the tour and i said oh you can use my rig and so he liked me he liked me so that's great <laughs> oh that's great yeah i've had him on robert kepper and a few other people oh yeah um, yeah i know robert yeah yeah i love him so okay so then now one of the things we try to cover very sensitively on here is the business side of things i mean if you don't own the publishing, but you you have you co-wrote part of it, how does the royalty work for that song whenever it well, gets played? The publisher pays the writer is basically what it is. Uh, it's the publishing. My my part of the song is with Sony, you know, Sony ATV, the publisher publishing arm of Sony, you know, Sony Music and whatever. So it's uh, you know I got some nice checks. Believe me, uh, that Good. was a that was a big movie. Yeah. Um, it was funny because uh, I was like three years ago or something. I was doing a Transformers convention back east, and I uh, just come uh, uh, in the backstage. And then uh, Mark Wahlberg had just come off of doing a panel. He was walking backstage, and I said, uh, "Hey, you got the touch." He turns around, "How did I do?" I said, "You were." <laughs> he comes over a couple minutes later with his phone, and we start singing it together into his oh, phone. You know, and he put it on uh, like the touch. You know, singing like a couple of drums. Yeah. Songs. He puts it up on Facebook, and his Facebook was like 650 views in, in like two hours. You know, so no. that was pretty cool. You know, that is very cool. Good, right? good. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. I love that kind of I've stuff. I've heard good things about him. He seems seems like a good guy. Yeah, you know, I was thinking and getting ready to talk to you with your music, and you just have you have such a unique career compared to other people. And I was thinking, you know. It was funny. It's funny you mentioning opening for Survivor. I thought I could see Stan just as easily opening for Survivor as I could having a booth at like Comic Con or something. You know, you yeah. straddle these different worlds. There's movies, yeah. but it's not just movies. It's specific. It's action movies and it's sci-fi movies and it's Stallone movies. You know what I mean? And, uh, and but then you also rock like John Parr or something like that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's it's a cool, yeah, little niche. I, I don't know. I think the touch kind of started off this whole action uh, theme. Also, like sort of the, you know, go for it, believe in yourself mm -hmm, message, mm -hmm. you know, message of hope and stuff. It's, I don't know, to me, it's really kind of cool. I, I like singing positive, upbeat stuff, you know, yeah. and uh, it's, uh, you know, there's enough darkness in the world, I think. Absolutely. Especially right now. I didn't know until getting ready to talk to you that that song, that the touch was originally intended for Cobra. Is that right? Yeah, we are. we wrote it with Cobra in mind, uh, Lenny and I, and and you know, like I say, Scotty Brothers let me know one day, hey, we got the song in the, uh, an animated movie about robots, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it it turned out, of course, to be a big phenomenon uh -huh. Uh -huh. And, uh, and a really cool thing, you know, decades later. Yeah, so it's been a fun ride. I uh, I. Uh, I really like being associated with the fans at these conventions are just awesome. They're so mm -hmm. nice. And so, I don't know, it's just very humbling to hear the stories about, you know, first of all, they, they say how those songs, The Touch and Dare, you know, uh, gave them hope or some kind of mm -hmm. confidence or encouragement when they were having a tough time or whatever when they were kids. and. Yeah. 
maybe that stuff like you know that's a soundtrack to my childhood things like that yeah it's great to hear that stuff you know and and humbling at the same time i bet is that uh i mean is that how you not how you make a living you make a living as a musician but is the is the touch aspect of your career kind of a big driving force yeah it's it is my sort of signature song that people know me for that song mostly but uh Oh yeah, he's the touch guy, you know. Like the mm-hmm. touch, the, the touch is more famous than Stan Bush. <laughs> kind of, yeah, in a way, yeah. It, it, but it's it, it's a cool calling card. I mean, but yeah, yeah I have a, a lot of a whole body of work, as you oh, know. Yeah, you and do. So people, yeah. uh, it, it's funny because it's been sort of a two uh, like a two tier kind of project. It seems like I've got my rocker album oriented radio AOR fan base, like in Europe mainly, mm-hmm. and some some in Japan as well. And and more in the United States in the last twenty years, but uh, but during the uh, like when in the nineties when grunge music came in, the eighties kind of you know imploded eighties music. But I still had fans overseas, and that's when I did more stuff uh, overseas and, and whatnot. Right. So it was pretty cool. It was uh, it's been it's been great because I haven't had to change who I am, you know, to uh, yeah. to be something else, and uh, and yeah. I've. I've had a good career as a singer, you know, doing other stuff. I did a lot of big commercials back yeah. in the day, Toyota and Coors Beer and all these other things. I won an Emmy. Um, yeah, of course, daytime Emmy. Sang, yeah, sang on a lot of other records and and stuff, and uh, for other, um, you know, m- movies and things. So sure. Oh, I know. I got a whole list here. So <laughs> I love this stuff. Till I Was Loved By You, we should say. That's the song that you and Robin Beck, she's another one I've been trying to get on here for a long time, by the way. Oh. Robin Beck uh, won a daytime Emmy. I'm always curious about this. Where do you keep your Emmy? Oh, um, it's right up on the shelf above nice. my desk. You know, I, uh, yeah. right. Good. Right. Yep. Good. That's where it belongs. Great. That's one of those things that's, you know, like a lifetime accomplishment, you know. Of course pretty cool how did you become i don't think anyone sets out to be the movie music guy you know but that's just where what happened to you for instance i was uh you mentioned the thing that you're known for i um i don't know if you know who gerard mcmahon is he goes by g tom mack and he had that song cry little sister in the sound on the soundtrack to the to the lost boys and there's kind of a similar thing where that song is huge everyone knows that song and he's built a career out of touring and playing that song but also doing his own music too how did you settle into being the movie music guy well it's just like i say there were a lot of things that kind of came my way like the around the time i did the scotty's album i got asked to sing uh, three songs in each of the first two jean-claude van damme mm-hmm. movies Bloodsport, mm-hmm. kickboxer and uh of course you know there are a lot of fighting sort of fans and mm-hmm. whatnot a whole different sort of set of fans that know me from that and uh you know other other various things but it, it's kind of like i don't know it's just uh this town is that way you know like yeah 
just when you think your your career is over, the the down throws. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I have to ask you about one of those one of those songs. So okay. Streets of Siam, I love that song. I had never noticed this before until listening to it again to talk to you just now. It sounds a lot like One Night in Bangkok. And I wondered if that was, if you, you know, Siam, Bangkok. I wondered if that was intentional, if I'm way overthinking this, if that was an influence somewhere. You know what I mean? Well, I wasn't a writer on that one. So, and I don't really know the song. Oh. Before, but uh, but I'll check it out. And, okay. Okay. It may have been that, that that song inspired, you know, the the, the people who wrote uh, Siam, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious um, because there's – so one of the things that I love most about you, Stan, is that you can just – you can always count on Stan Bush to deliver exactly what you want. You're going to get strong, killer AOR rock as if it's still 1987 – and you're going to feel good and you're going to want to run further than you would have run without his music playing. And you're <laughs> going to feel better about yourself. And um, I just love that about you. Oh, but there, okay. sure. And, but there, and there were times, like for instance, in get listening to dare to dream that song on their times of your life reminds me a little bit of run to you by Brian Adams. Yeah, and I thought, man, Stan knows what he's doing. He's just, he knows the pocket that he's in, and he loves to just kind of keep going back to that pocket and giving us the goods, you know? I wonder if that was intentional. I know that song, uh, the Brian Adams song. That's a great song. I didn't intend to copy it or anything. I just no. I think I know what you mean, though. It just has a that sort of open guitar pick, uh, picking thing mm-hmm. in, the, in the intro, like a mm-hmm. arpeggio. You know, it's a combination of things like the 80s sort of sound. But you're right. I mean, it's like one thing about the 80s music and about that kind of production in general is, you know, there's a lot of like stuff going on and, and uh, they have really cool guitar parts and yeah. keyboard parts and a lot of power, big yeah. drums, big keyboard, big, big everything. And uh, the thing about 80s music that I just love is well, remember the movies from the 80s, like Top mm-hmm. Gun and all this mm-hmm. other stuff that these songs were incredible. You know, they had yeah. uh, these big hooks that you remember and you walk out of the theater the theater singing the song. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's very cool stuff. And uh, I think one of the things about having, you know, been in that period is is it's all about the hook. You know, you yeah. got to 
want to remember, or you you want your your audience to remember the song and 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 hum it hum it in their head. Remember the melody and and the chords, and that's the thing. I think it's sort of uh, I don't know the the choruses of a lot of songs, especially some of the darker and different kind of moody stuff they have. Mm-hmm. Modern things and are are not so so much that way. You know, it's like yeah. Doesn't have the big the big payoff and the big the big hooky thing, you know. And mm-hmm. the anthem is what I guess what I'm looking at. Stadium rock, you know, whatever. Right. But yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's your thing. And you pay bye. tribute to that on the new album with the song "The 80s. Yeah, the '80s. Turn out like we planned When I have a time Slips away Though the memories May fade When I hear Those songs again I think about those days Can't stop this Feeling of the 80s For me the dream Still Oh, and I thought that was such a genius move for you. you to do. It's like, yeah, this is what this was a peak time for me. It's a peak time for a lot of us. Let's uh, let's just bask in it for a minute. You know, what was the inspiration behind that song? The, exactly that. It really. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Brian Adams because um, you know a similar sort of feeling or mood or whatever, even though it's totally different musically, is Summer of '69 mm-hmm. because back to when you were a kid and you can you know recall this this fond memories of and it's the music that takes you back you know it's uh music's like a time machine you know totally. you, you hear stuff that you that you listen to when you were a kid and you know and for a lot of people that that's the touch <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but the song is about that and, and we did a music video this was uh summer before last my son was actually in the video he played mm-hmm. played a young me and mm-hmm. I even rented a VW bus to uh, to f- totally sell the uh, the back in time thing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that, love it. Yeah, it's so good, and it's the perfect song for you. I would imagine a song like that. I mean, what's the what's the state of Stan Bush? Do you get? I mean, rock music it just does not, especially of your ilk, just just does not get played very much in the states anymore. Do, are you getting played on the radio somewhere? Are you getting? The attention you deserve? You know, I have no idea. And it's it's really hard nowadays to track yeah. stuff because everybody's on Spotify and these other things and the streaming thing. It's just, uh, you know, it's not like the old days where you'd buy a record and take it home and play it until it, you know, until you, <laughs> you wear it yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and also the, the typical radio airplay thing is uh, that's another really hard thing to get is uh you know major airplay i guess unless yeah. you're like katie perry or somebody you know it's you know they i think the record companies uh they they probably pay a lot of money to have their their artists featured mm-hmm. in films and, and television mm-hmm. uh, especially uh air uh, radio airplay so yeah, but yeah it's, it's hard to know i mean i you know it's it's i'm not getting rich but i'm having a fun, <laughs> a fun time. <laughs> it's a life right right what a, what a great life no, Speaking it, of, because oh, go ahead. Excuse me. The Dare, to, the Dare to Dream album has gotten tremendous reviews uh, yeah. all, all over. People in Europe love it. They voted number the number ten album from twenty twenty. Um, this was a couple weeks ago. I found that out. Really? So, yeah, yeah. That is great. Cool now stuff. is the I love it. And is the is the new the single off of it now is Born to Fight, right? Hey gang, it's John. I haven't done a midsection for a long time, so I thought, why not? It's time to bust in here and uh, give some back to all of you. Um, First of all, let's talk about iTunes ratings, because it's been a while since I've done one of these, and I think we've only had three 
new ones in that time? What is, we know that you like us. Go give us an iTunes rating, you know? Maybe it's because I stopped reading them. Anyway, let's do this. Here's some of the newer ones. Uh, Sydney's wor Word. Sydney's Word uh, gave us five stars. Great guests. Great interviews. This has been a great find. I landed here for artists I was most familiar with, but have listened to many great interviews of artists I wasn't too familiar with or hadn't even heard of. There are some great stories out there. I love that you say that. Like how John isn't... I like how John isn't afraid to ask questions that diehard fans of an artist would love to know. As a fan of Brian Adams, I welcome John asking Mickey, Mickey Curry, what happened in reference to Brian no longer rocking? I still want to know that. I wish uh, I wish somebody, Eddie, he was on Eddie Trunk recently. Why doesn't Eddie Trunk ask that question? What happened to you, Brian? Or recently asking Frankie Sullivan why the remaining original members of Survivor can't go out together. I want to know that too. I look forward to seeing new episodes, and it's always an added bonus if it is one of my favorite artists. Thank you, Sydney's Word. I don't think I know Sydney's Word. Um, okay, here comes here comes a different one. Monkey Maniac gave us three stars. I really want to give this five stars, but I don't think I know who Monkey Maniac is, although it sounds a lot like Craig Smith. But I don't think Craig Smith listens to our podcast, so I have no idea. Craig Smith is of the Pods and Sods Network, by the way. John, you have got to let your guests speak. I understand the fanish enthusiasm, but you always feel the need to interject and cut your guests off, especially when they seem to be on a roll. I love the work and passion you put into this and the guests you score, but please take a minute to listen to yourself sometime. You may find yourself screaming at the phone like some of us do, let the man talk. Let me address this. First of all, thank you, Monkey Maniac, whoever you are, for the uh, for the feedback. Secondly, I used to get nailed for that a lot when I very first started, the first year or two. I haven't heard anyone complain about that in a really, really long time. That's not to say that I don't have that problem still. Maybe everyone's just gotten used to it. Um, maybe people are telling me. I don't know. Um, so... Thank you, Monkey Maniac. I will work on that. I'm always trying to work on that. And I thought I was doing a good job of working on that. But apparently it's not good enough. And I am really curious if it was, if I know you, Monkey Maniac, and you're listening to this, if you'd be willing to tell me who you are and point out what episode specifically you're talking about that frustrated you so much, I would love to hear it. I always go back and listen to all of our episodes. I have to to send them to Yan to get them ready. And then I always listen once when they come out just so I can hear what the final thing is. And then I tend to move on. So I don't know. And if a lot of you feel this way and you're sick of me or you just haven't said anything, please let me know. I'm always trying to get better at this. Okay. But Monkey Maniac, I am curious. And that's Monkey like the band Monkey. So anyway, um, I am curious who... It was that you heard that frustrated you so much. Please tell me which one that was. Uh, lastly, we have Parrothead135, a true music fan. This one's short and sweet. John seems like a true music fan, and his enthusiasm shows in his interviews. Great guests and great interviews. Thank you, Parrothead135. I don't think I know who that is either. Um, okay, let me address a couple of things. First of all, Patreon. I'm going to mention this more at the end of this episode, but we're giving away a copy of a Stan Bush CD, so check into that. As I've mentioned before, we have two tiers of Patreon supporters. Tier one, two bucks a month, you set it and forget it, and that automatically puts you in the running to win any and all swag we ever have to give away. Okay, you don't even have to do anything about it. I will just send a message to all Patreon members like I plan to later this week. Hey, gang, I have a copy of Stan Bush's new album, Dare to Dream, to give away. What? Who wants this? Let me know and we'll factor you into our random drawing and give it away. Okay, the tier two level in Patreon is five bucks a month. That's also set it and forget it. And with that, I will always keep you informed of who has agreed to come on the show so that you, if you want to, can contribute questions that may end up in the interview, okay? 
I try, I'm realizing sometimes that I don't do a very good job of attributing questions to the name of the listener that sent them in, and I'm trying to consciously do better at that. I'm sorry, guys, but I'm going to work on that. So if you want to contribute five bucks a month, I will tell you who I'm interviewing. You can send over questions if you want, okay? It's just ways to donate to the show. I split everything. Yan and I split everything 50-50, and it just resets the cost of like... Skype charges and microphones and software and storage fees and all that kind of stuff. It's not a lot. Okay. Also, there are always, <laughs> there are always t-shirts out there on Amazon. So if you wanted to Google on Amazon, hustle podcast merch or hustle podcast t-shirts or whatever, there's shirts, there's sweatshirts, there's pop sockets. Uh, go check that out. Whatever you want to do, if, you know, if you want to support the show, please do. If you don't, that is fine too. It's your prerogative. So anyway, thank you to anyone and everyone who does. Um, it is fun letting you guys know who we have coming up. And there are a lot. I'm on a little bit of a roll right now. There's about half a dozen really good names that I'm in the process of scheduling right now. And so the tier two people right now are getting an earful because... Um, yeah, there's some good ones coming up. I'm excited about it. All right. Anyway, let's get back to to Stan. Yeah, that was the uh, the lead off track. Um, I was reached out to by Netflix um, mm. uh, around September, I guess it was, and the timing was perfect because we had one more song to record for the new album. And uh, anyway, they they asked asked me to write a song about uh, fighting. You know, a fight mm -hmm. song. To, they were going to use it to promote their two most popular anime shows, Baki and uh, Kengen Ashura. So anyway, we, we wrote, uh, Lenny and I wrote the, uh, Born to Fight, and uh, we recorded it, and they, the Netflix people loved it. So mm -hmm. they did a music, a music video with footage from the shows, and of course me uh, acting like this tough guy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> Almost tongue-in-cheek, you know, but but serious at the same time, if you can, if you can believe that. But yeah. But anyway, yeah, that so that's what we did, and uh, the, right. it became the lead-off track for the album. Right. So, I love it. Um, I didn't know until getting ready, or maybe I just didn't realize until getting ready to uh, talk to you, that you don't play guitar on your songs, right? You know, I do sometimes. I uh, I used to play all of them, my first two sure. albums. Like, you know, first album I played every guitar part. The second one, about half of them. And then after that, it's like, hey, you know, these other guys <laughs> – <laughs> play like you know they, that's all they do and so uh -huh. it's like easier to just let somebody else play it you know so yeah that's kind yeah. of fun yeah that was interesting i hope i get to see you live one of these days when you play out in the states what's the uh is it is it part of a festival do you play your own sh headline your own shows are you opening for heart or something like that what what's the situation how does it work well, it's funny because it's sort of selective as far as shows in the states. I don't, I don't do actual touring like you know, mm. like mm -hmm. uh, you know, like people do, like they go on the road for six months or something. I don't, I'm not into that. I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm fortunate that I've never really had to. I mean, I've done tours like couple week tours like in Europe, but here I just do selective shows. I mean, I'll do a show like at the Whiskey in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Uh, once in a while uh it did a a thing with with robert tepper he and i yeah. both played it was kind of a co-bill thing mm -hmm. and uh you know the transformers conventions and things like that and uh, cool. did a show in san diego uh, that was around comic-con and nice. uh, that kind of stuff but yeah it's That's cool I, I didn't really mention it before, but you probably know the touch with they had a cameo of the touch in in the latest transformers bumblebee movie Oh, that's right. Yes, I yeah. did. I do remember that. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, it was. Uh, I love that. I, I haven't. I saw the first Transformers movie, the reboot, and then I didn't stick with it. But I took my kids to see Bumblebee, and I remember pointing out when it came on, "You guys, that's this guy's great, Stan Bush. I know this song." Anyway, oh, remember that. Thank you. Um, I gotta. I gotta ask: Are you aware that you have like a dozen songs with the word "dream" in the title? Yeah, yeah, you know that—that's exactly right. And uh, when I was writing uh, "Dare to Dream," I started thinking, uh, "Let's see, I have three songs with dream in the title uh, <laughs> on this album." And then I thought, at first, I thought it was like I—I got to do something different. But then I realized, you know, it doesn't matter. It's a theme. It's yeah. kind of—it works, yeah. you know, for me. Yeah. 
it and, does. Uh, so it so I just left it, let it stand. You know, it just kind of uh-huh. worked that way. What I think maybe my favorite Stan Bush song is "Capture the Dream." I love it. And um, yeah, I just, I thought you can always, like I said earlier, you can always count on Stan to be super positive. And I wondered if that, if that sort of approach to your music, does that ever feel, I don't know, stifling? Do you ever feel like, man, I've kind of painted myself in a corner here. I can't go dark. I can't be too experimental because I do this thing. Or are you like, it frees me up. I get to do exactly what I want. It's more the latter. Um, really? I don't have a lot of dark within me. I mean, I don't feel that. I don't get it. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't, it doesn't work for me. It's not appealing, especially, yeah. you know, a lot of the stuff, super negative stuff that you have out mm-hmm. there. Song about, like, yeah, I'll write a song about killing cops, you know? Right, <laughs> really? right. That's not your style. <laughs> no. And, yeah. uh, and no, I don't, I don't find it stifling at all. I, I really, uh, I love to be a positive force, you know, and, and try to, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's not contrived either. I really do I feel it. that way. It's it's kind of like you know this optimism I've had since I was a kid, and you know we we I think we make our own reality, and and people we have a lot more power than people realize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So way more, yeah, yeah. capable yeah. stuff. Yeah, I'm glad I. Um, that's what like I said. That's one of the things that I've always appreciated you about you is. I feel like you recognize that in yourself. And so you make it your mission to kind of spread the gospel in a way, you know, like be that guy, be that an example. I grew up in a trailer in South Florida, you know, yeah, you know, not my whole childhood, but when I was little, we lived in a trailer for a while. And it's like, you know, it's like, but, but we were a good family. My parents yeah. were always great. And, uh, it, I, you know, two brothers and a sister and just really close, uh, family. And I think, a lot of support. My parents were just awesome. So, you know, that kind of stuff is, uh, Mm -hmm. makes you, uh, uh, I think have a better outlook on things as you get older, you know, you kind of, uh, you just sort of trusting and, and, you know, life is about, you know, helping each other and, and acceptance and Mm -hmm. and love, you know, that kind of stuff. And I don't know, don't want to get corny, but no, I I agree. That's it. That's it. So, okay, going back, you mentioned it, going back in the history books. Where does you get your start with this band Boulder? Are you guys based in Boulder?
Why, why is it called that? And what happened? Why did it only last that one album? Well, yeah, we were uh, we lived in in Boulder, Colorado, and we formed there, and we were called Helix back in the day. But then there mm. was, I guess, it was another band called Helix uh, mm-hmm. around that time or shortly thereafter. And we, when we moved to LA, we got a record deal, and we went to LA, and then changed the name to Boulder. So then we did one album for Electra Asylum, and then right when the record came out, the the head of A and R that signed us got fired. You know that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. usual political. So the, the album didn't, nothing happened with it. And uh, so I got a chance to, to start recording uh, sort of nights and weekends doing a secret album project mm. in the in the studios there at Electra, uh, Electra Asylum, the old Asylum studios where they did the doors and all these records. But anyway, it was a, a really cool opportunity. And that those demos, that's what got me my first solo deal with, with Columbia, you know, CBS Records. Nice. Okay. Nice. I love that debut album, by the way. And I want to ask you specifically, the song All American Boy is has a co-write by Van Stevenson. Yeah, he's another I, one. I don't think he's around anymore. I think he passed away. But he's another one that kind of reminds me of you and the music you were making at that time. How do you know Van? How did this happen? That I didn't seek him out. The, the uh, I think it was the record company that recommended, hey, why don't you do this a cover of this song? And I was like, okay. So, you know, that's what happened. That was the only one that was a cover Mm. And a good song. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wondered how you two's paths crossed. The other thing I want to mention is I think shortly after this you be- is when you become Stan Bush and Barrage. Is that it? Is that because someone advised you to change the name, or w- was it a change in direction or band, or what was well, the we, thinking? Yeah, the the producer Richie Wise. He had worked with Kiss and other people. He great great producer and really good guy he uh he was also the head of a and r at scotty brothers and uh signed me and everything but it was his idea that we we talked about you know trying to put across more of a band image mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i called up some buddies and we took a took a photo and then named it that so that mm-hmm. that was the idea behind that it's still a solo album but you know that was the idea was mm-hmm. try to put across more of a band image yeah that one that album's great too um you mentioned lenny earlier i mean you guys have been you guys were a pretty successful pair there for a while how does this how did you two come together what made you start writing music together are you still doing it what's the story that was uh richie actually put the two of us together um and back then you know to write Mm -hmm. and uh, that's when we wrote the touch and primitive lover
mm-hmm. and uh, it was another song he and I wrote on that album. But we've kept in touch, and we still write together after all these years. And uh, wow. we've had a number of you know uh, songs placed and things in you know TV shows and movies mm-hmm. and games and all the stuff. And uh, you know he's he's a real talented writer. So yeah, that was that was uh, Richie hooked the two of us up. And, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So you weren't buddies. You didn't go to L.A. together thinking we're going to, you know, make our fortune. You got paired off and it just worked, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, we kind of were buddies back back in the day. He, he mm-hmm. moved to Florida about 20 years ago, though. And uh, but I'm still here in L.A. So. Mm-hmm. OK. Yeah. So we Spe- like, like over the phone. And, <laughs> OK. Know? OK. Yeah. Speaking of songs of yours that have been placed, I really love Hearts versus Heads. From the Wraith soundtrack, I love that soundtrack. By the way, I mean, like, was it, did you write that one for the Wraith? Was it uh, placed there? What's the they story? Just got it placed there. Scotty's did. I, um, but no, I wrote that with another guy that uh, I don't even remember his name offhand. But mm-hmm. we, have, uh, there was another Richie uh, hookup thing. You know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's such a good song. Okay, so then when after the first album comes out, and then it's Barrage. I don't know, like like I was mentioning earlier, your career kind of takes this strange trajectory. It's such a unique career. Did you Are you aware of it as it's going on? Are you thinking, you know, I'm not getting played on the American radio stations like I feel like I should, but I'm getting all these songs and movies. What's the deal, you know? It's like, you remember when they couldn't find Patty Hearst? Um, yeah. She was on Scotty Brothers. that's so funny oh man (laughs) sorry (laughs) anyway yeah it's it's just one of those things i i think epic that was who distributed them back then and uh okay they had some huge huge success with eye of the tiger and survivor you know that that was their in fact they were among the first uh to to actually market or get songs in movies like that you know and uh after after that, I think it was very became very competitive to get those you know movie slots like that. You know, the, mm-hmm. they they put top top acts, top artists. You know, like you know at the time like Van Halen and people like that, and uh, you know uh, in these movies. But uh, sure. anyway, um, I think it, like I say, I don't I don't think necessarily that they at that point uh, took the the Scotty Brothers music that seriously. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. The circumstances but it's just one of those things a, a hit record is kind of an elusive thing and it's just there's a certain amount of, of luck involved but i think also they have to spend a lot of money promoting mm-hmm. and by the by the end of the 80s uh towards the end of the 80s it, it became there were a ton of bands that were you know really good stuff out there at mm-hmm. the time and uh so you know the competition became really fierce and uh yeah. you know, it, it was funny because uh you know I, th- I think it's in a way it's been a good thing. I I didn't really want to. Uh, okay, yeah, everybody wants to be wealthy mm-hmm. and famous, but um, but in a way it kind of worked out better. It, you know, just to be sort of moderately successful because mm-hmm. I was able to have a life and uh, mm-hmm. you know raise three kids and you know had a lot of. Uh, also, I didn't have to go on tour. You know, twelve yeah. months a year and 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 
you know, blow out my voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can sing all that stuff and still hit hit the notes, you know. And yeah, it's not easy. A lot of people had to, you know, if you have to tour night after night singing that high stuff, it's like mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. Um, were you at one point though, kind of on that treadmill? I mean, I'm guessing early on in the mid eighties or whatever, when you're still fighting to establish your own self in your own career, are you going out on tour opening for, I don't know, John Waite or Jefferson Air Starship or something like that? Were you in that mode at one point or have you always sort of done it your way? Um, well, like I say, they uh, they only gave tour support to some of their top acts, mm. you know, and, mm. and uh, it just became financially uh, um, just it did, it wasn't workable to to put a, a new act on tour unless you were some you know mega hit, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I would I like I say that was around when Loverboy and all these other bands, mm. Brian Thomas was you know out Journey of course, and uh, you know it it, uh, it it just worked out the way it worked out you know mm. uh, but i um i've had like i say when it's funny because when journey broke up jonathan kane uh got in touch with me and i went up there and wrote with him and uh also jim valance from the guy really yeah up. yeah I, I wrote with him uh i went up to to see both of those guys at two times each and we wrote songs and we were maybe going to do a band and then uh that that was before they formed and then they ended up doing uh uh that band uh you know with bad john way yeah, yeah bad english bad english right yeah so prior to bad english you I and john auditioned for foreigner in 94 you did yeah yeah <laughs> so i've done a lot of stuff it's it's like um but but none of those things sort of panned out you know it was uh, yeah yeah wow Oh yeah. man, I had no idea. That's beautiful. I love that kind of gold from these yeah, stories. Yeah, uh, it's just little stuff, like I say. But I learned, you know, every everything I did, I learned a lot. Uh, like for instance, I was talking about like Jonathan Kane, for instance, and uh, and also Jim Valance. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about those guys that I noticed right off the bat is their work ethic. They, you know, they they'll go 12, 14 hours in the studio, and it's like, you know, they and you get it right. It's like mm-hmm. you work and you work until you have something great, and that's what. That's the difference. I think a lot of people don't put that kind of time in, you know, and that that kind of yeah. effort, and you know, it's a mm. uh, separates. You know, it's, it's a, that the old saying about genius being ninety percent, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, inspiration and pers- then ten percent perspiration or vice versa or whatever it is. And that's the one. Yeah. 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 So. You know, you illustrating this, I'm starting to understand. Robert Tepper, I've talked to him a couple of times, and he expressed some frustration, I guess, with Scotty Brothers as well, just in terms of mishandling his career, and especially that first album, No Easy Way Out, and that song, which should have been a huge hit. It was it was a decent-sized hit, and it came out so far before the movie that by the time the movie came out, they were more focused on the soundtrack and less interested in like really pushing Robert anymore. And um, yeah, you're right. I'm I'm getting a sense here that it maybe they were more interested or felt like they were going to make more money by placing their artists in Stallone movies than they were like really truly building anyone from the, yeah, from scratch. I, yeah, I, I got I get that I got that sense as well. You know, uh, I think Tepper kind of ran ran a similar trajectory with me. I mean, actually, that I, I think uh, Nosey Way Out I think was a top twenty song. Yeah, I never even charted, not in the States anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So what, um, I mean, do you have any stories of your time in LA in the eighties as a rock star, or are you sort of sitting on the sidelines just waiting for something to happen? You know, I mean, I don't know. Are you go, are you, what, what are these stories? I was a signed artist, uh, you know, during that time, did two albums during the eighties and then, you know, uh, like I say, towards the end of the 80s, uh, when the Scotty brothers, they wanted another record from me, but uh, I got out of the deal, first mm-hmm. of all, because I knew I would never make any money. Mm-hmm. Um, when you give up all your publishing rights, you know, you've, you've probably heard other stories like mm-hmm. that from from bands and, and, and whatnot. Sure. You know, Motown was notorious for that. And yeah. uh, yeah. I think that Creedence Clearwater, there were a lot of uh, bands yeah. that ended up in, with really bad contracts. But um Anyway, yeah, but like I say, I focused mostly on Europe after that, and I um, I did you know flirt with a few bands, band bands mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know. But uh, I don't know. It was funny because 
um, like I was always in bands before, and then uh, mm. it's uh, you know being a solo artist is is kind of easier. Like mm. when I'd go to Europe, and still I still do it this way. Um, if they do, if I do a show like in England or in Germany, they'll I'll use a band over there, guys, mm-hmm. uh, an existing band, or or put something together, and mm-hmm. they they learn my songs ahead of time, and then we show up and rehearse a couple of times, and then then do the show. You know, yeah. it works great. It's like an instant band. You know, that's Just, so great sad water <laughs> but yeah. yeah but it, it was good they uh um i don't know it, it, after that like i said um i was focusing on uh doing another record and uh i had these songs that i had recorded and i got signed to a record label in germany and did uh did a, a, two albums with them and then okay. uh then another one a different label in germany so and, okay. and I had deals in japan as well through this time yeah. Just imagining you in L.A. at the time. Yeah, you, you you know, Scotty Brothers puts out a couple albums of yours. They're not, like, burning up the charts, and you're not touring. They're showing up in some movies. I just am imagining this hungry, young talent like you chomping at the bit, like, somebody put me out there and let me show what I can do and not getting that chance. Maybe I'm projecting onto you what I'm imagining you might be feeling at that time. Well... It it wasn't that sort of thing. I mean, I uh, I guess uh, things just happen the way they happen. I, yeah. I guess it's like, uh, but I was doing other stuff. Uh, okay, playing playing around local gigs and things. And uh, of course, I, w- I had gotten married and I was having I had babies at the time and uh, mm-hmm. you know youngsters and to- toddlers and all that. Going through that whole thing, being a family guy, and uh, I don't know. It's uh, mm-hmm. The, the the things I did do were were in Europe mostly. It just kind of worked out that way. Okay. But, yeah. And you like you've said, you're such a f- positive person anyway. You probably maybe you weren't even thinking about that kind of stuff back then. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm like like one of the things too. I mean, you know, these these kids that go on on the road, they're literally. And this was even back then, but it's especially true later. You know, you you'd have to go like uh, live in a van and travel and have no money. And mm-hmm. just travel and travel and play and play. And you know what I mean? It, that's no life when you have a family and all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's, mm-hmm. uh, that was part of it, too, I think. Yeah. It's, it's fun okay. when, you're, when you're 25, you know. Yeah, you no kidding. It's 22. different then. First and foremost, so you mentioned auditioning for Foreigner. Was this before or after Johnny Edwards ultimately took over for Lou? Um, yeah, I remember that. Um, I don't remember if Johnny, uh, did, uh, auditioned after me or I think I was the first one. Okay. Yeah. But then I, then I heard about Johnny Edwards getting the gig. It's funny cause I, I never met him, but I did hear a song that he had, had sang on and it was, it was really good. I, uh, mm-hmm. liked his voice. He's had the, the, the licks down. Um, mm-hmm. one of the things I remember when I did the audition, like foreigner, they, they contacted me and I flew back. I was in Germany, but they, they flew me to New York and put me up in a hotel on central park and spent like three or four days walking around New York city. It was really cool. Nice. Uh, and they were nice and everything, but I played guitar in the, uh, in the audition I remember. And, uh, it sounded great. It was like playing mm-hmm. with Mick Jones and, and, uh, it, you know, two guitars going and, but that, but I think they were looking for the definitive frontman mm-hmm. thing with the, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I can do that, but it just didn't occur to me that you know yeah. I, I was just thought, hey, I'll play guitar and, and sing, you know. Sure. But, uh, I but think you may have. Oh, go I was ahead. Top three contenders, I think. Yeah, I think you may have kind of dodged a little bit of a bullet on that one. I had Johnny Edwards on here about a year ago, and um, that experience just didn't turn out very well for him no, because. I- he ends yeah. up being the scapegoat, you know. It's yeah. uh, people aren't don't want to hear Foreigner without Lou, and that kind yeah. of music is not in fashion anymore anyway. And it's yeah. easy for Mick Jones to blame, you know, Johnny for it, and then move yeah. on. So I think you kind of made out okay on that one. Yeah, actually. no, I, I agree. I I love Lou Graham, the early Foreigner. He's one of the best singers in the world. I mean, that yeah. was back in the day. He was like nobody could touch him. This yeah. is awesome stuff. I love the the songs too, and uh, that was one of my favorite bands back then. Sure, so, sure. Yeah. Okay, when you look back over this career of yours, what is your favorite story? Do you have a favorite moment? Is there a, I don't know, getting to meet a hero or a particular show you show you played or hearing a song somewhere or a city that 
I don't know, gave you a long-standing ovation. When you just when you think back, what's the thing where you're like, this that was the best? You wouldn't believe what happened to me. Oh, <laughs> probably winning the Emmy was like that yeah. was pretty ordinary. You know, we like I say, we got nominated and we went to this ceremony with rented a tux, all that. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, it was like when they named, you know, got nominated. Then we walked up. And it was like they then they announced our names. Like holy smokes, it, that mm-hmm. was went up and said a few words. And anyway that was pretty awesome uh getting inducted into the transformers hall of fame yeah, there <laughs> you was, go that was very cool <laughs> there and you, then, go. you know just uh all in all just uh, a great time you know it's uh, yeah. been a ride. um trying to think if there's something else uh, off the top of my head um sorry right. uh, yeah. what a life right you you yeah. managed to make a living doing what you want to do. And you mentioned raising three kids. I mean, have you, I don't know, are you still married to the same person? No, still- no, no, I'm married, but you know, it's, uh, the, I'm real close with all my kids and they're Good. all well, and I have a grandchild now. And That's uh, great. yeah, so life is great, you know, Good for you. Good yeah. for you, Stan. Well, um, look, I just think you're special and I've been wanting to tell you that for years. And, uh, Thank so you. thanks for giving me some time and I hope people, Check out Dare to Dream and everything else. I, I think my favorite Stan Bush album is The Ultimate. But, I mean, every time you listen to a Stan Bush album, you're going to get that meat and potatoes fantastic sound that uh, it's just it, – it, you can rely on it. And that's one of the things I love about you. So, anyway, uh, thanks for everything, Stan. Thanks a lot. Yeah, check uh, check out my website in about one week. There's some something big coming up, and it involves – Oh, tra- cool. Oh, tra- good. All right, there you have it, Stan Bush, sweetheart of a guy. I want to close it out with one of the songs of his that ended up in Bloodsport. This is Fight to Survive. So of its time, so good, I miss these days. I I guess you do too. Anyway, thank you, Stan, for talking with me. Now, we have a copy of Dare to Dream that we're going to give away. And as always, all you have to do to be in the running to receive this free CD from us, from Stan, is to be a tier one Patreon supporter. You can go to the website, it's in the link. The, the link is in the show description right here. And uh, you can go in there, you can just sign up for two bucks a month and you set it and forget it. And that just puts you in the running for any and all swag giveaways we ever have, okay? And I'm telling you, Dare to Dream is so much fun because it's just, like I said before, it's that great rock music that just in our hearts, never went out of style. You know what I mean? It's a great album. Um, I'm not 100% sure what we're going to go with next week, but I believe it's going to be a producer. So um, I know everyone loves the producer episodes, and that's what this is a good one. And I'm pretty sure that's what's coming up next week. Okay? May change, but I think that's what we're going to do. Huge thanks, as always, to Yana Mamakiewicz, my buddy, for doing this with me. Thank you, Yan. And uh, you guys can like our page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And I believe we have a deep dive coming out this weekend. And it's a big one. A big one. It's for an album that, well, it sold millions and millions of copies. Many of you probably own this album. And it's a classic. All right? So that's what's coming up. Thanks, everybody. 